Thank you, Rich and Kim, for uh, sharing the scriptures with us. Uh, before I get to the message, um, can I just take a quick pause? And uh, Patty and I have been with you for 10 years now, and a lot has happened in 10 years. When we first came, our sons weren't married, and now they're married, and we've started our family. So here's a picture of the uh, Olsons, um, our four precious grandkids, uh, Connor, Kate, Dylan, and Charlie. So three boys we call hockey pucks. And one little girl, which we call a princess. So the Olsen scoreboard reads <laughs> hockey pucks three and princess one. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. But that's a little update. And as you can imagine, if you're grandparents, uh, it's like an unbelievable season of life. Well, we return our attention now to God and his word. Would you join me in prayer? Just for a moment, would you just recenter your heart? And simply ask God to say to you whatever he wants to say. And that you would say back to him that your response to whatever that is will be yes. God, our prayer this morning is that this room would be filled with open hearts. Ready to hear and to receive what you want to say to us. We come with anticipation, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during the first four years of our marriage, Patty and I lived in Texas while I was going through Dallas Seminary in grad school. And during that time, we worked a variety of jobs to pay the bills. And one of our favorite jobs was what was called house-sitting. And what you could do is you could put your name on a list at the seminary to indicate your interest and your availability to live in someone's home, to care for someone's home while they were traveling. And sometimes you took care of the home and just watered plants and things like that. Sometimes you took care of the household pets. Uh, but our favorite was when you got to take care of the kids. And we, I can remember when uh, we took care uh, of the Campbell's home. The Campbells lived in a home that looked like a scene out of a movie, a large two-story estate with this huge front lawn and this sweeping horseshoe uh, driveway. And the house was filled with a bunch of bedrooms and bathrooms. But the favorite part was the Campbells' kids. Mabry was age four and Evie was age two. Now, this was before Patty and I had our own kids. And so we were quite uh, taken, quite entertained by these two little precocious kids. We had a ton of fun. For five days, we ran the Campbell household. Uh, we lived in a house that wasn't ours. We fed kids that didn't belong to us. We walked dogs that were someone else's. And we retrieved mail that had someone else's name on it. In a word, we were stewards. Mr. and Mrs. Campbell kissed their kids goodbye, and they were asking us, trusting us, to care for their most prized possessions, things that did not belong to us. Well, friends, we are in a series on stewardship, a series that Greg has given the title, don't waste your life. 
Pastor Greg two weeks ago talked about made for stewardship. And then two weeks ago, he gave a wonderful message on time, making the most of our opportunities and challenged us about the Sabbath. Well, this morning, we're going to look at the stewardship of our spiritual gifts. And I want to encourage you to take your worship folder and to pull out the message notes there because we're going to refer to those several times throughout our uh, message this morning. Now, of course, spiritual gifts is a much larger topic than one message can contain. And so we're going to narrow down our focus to three big questions. The purpose of our spiritual gifts. What is the purpose? Number two, how to discover our spiritual gifts. And number three, what is the stewardship of my spiritual gift? So, big question number one. What is the purpose of my spiritual gift. Why has God given me a special ability? Now, before we answer that question, we need to immerse ourselves in Romans chapter 12. So take your Bibles, and if you haven't turned there already, open up to Romans 12, because in this passage, the Apostle Paul is basically saying that if you want to understand spiritual gifts, there's a, first, there's a few things you first need to know. And so in this passage, he begins to walk us step by step by step. And with each step, we get closer and a clearer understanding of what spiritual gifts are. So let me show you what those steps are. The first step is a huge step. For the past 11 chapters, Romans 1 through 11, Paul the Apostle has been rolling out the most important, the most systematic, the most extensive theological treatise in all of Scripture. He has been talking about such truths as sin and salvation, justification, righteousness, redemption, reconciliation, just to name a few. And having poured out these incomparable truths, it is as if he leans over the lectern and looks us squarely in the eyes and says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do you see what he's saying here? He is saying, is there any other response that makes any sense at all in view of what God has done for us? You see, theological truth is never complete until it is not only informed, but it has transformed. The only acceptable response to the mercies of God, inventoried in Romans 1 through 11, is the ultimate act of worship, the complete, unreserved surrender of ourselves to the one true living God. And then he takes another step. And in this step, he says that this surrendered lifestyle requires a divine work of God in renewing our minds. Look at verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Simply put, he is saying that the maturing process, the growing up process for the Christ follower, it begins and it ends with the renewing of our thought life. And then he takes another step in helping us to understand spiritual gifts. And he says this surrendered lifestyle requires an accurate understanding of who we are. Look at verse 3 of chapter 12. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So what's being said here? Paul is saying that how can anyone be prideful about something that's been given to them, right? Where's the the logic in that? Where's the rationale? To think that we can be boastful about something that we haven't earned, but rather something that God has given to us. And that's the very essence of stewardship. All that we have whether it's our time, whether it's our resources, and in this context, our spiritual gifts have been given to us by God. And he says, when you think about that, do it with sober judgment, which essentially is saying, do it seriously, do it thoughtfully. And then he takes one more step in helping us to understand spiritual gifts. And he tells us that one of our responsibilities as a follower of Christ is to realize that we are not a self-contained entity. We are not an island unto ourselves. But we belong to a community. And that's the teaching of verses 4 and 5. Look with me there. Just as each of us has one member with many one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And then in verses 6 through 8, Paul talks about some of the specific gifts. Now this morning we're not going to have time to talk about all the different gifts that Scripture talks about. But I would want to encourage you for further study. Uh, I put something there in your worship folder uh, about a, a website that lists all the different spiritual gifts and gives a description, a definition of each of them so that you can do your own uh, advanced study. But for a moment, I want to set up shop in verses 4 and 5 because here we are reminded that we live in a community, a community of reciprocity, a place where you need the community And the community needs you. So here we have, brothers and sisters, one of the most significant clues as to understanding what a spiritual gift is all about. A spiritual gift that God has given to you is for someone else. Your gift is for the person sitting next to you. Now let me give a little illustration as we probe this big question number one. What is the purpose of my spiritual gift? I've got two gifts up here on the platform. And let me open the first one. The first one is a shirt. All right. Here it is. Uh, 
it just happens to be my favorite color, blue. Uh, it happens to have my neck size, 16, and my shirt sleeve, 35. Anybody else here is 16, 35, just out of curiosity? All right, good. We're going to have a small group. We're going to meet over here a little bit after the service. And, uh, but this is pretty much a gift for me, right? It's pretty much all about Chuck, my color, my size, etc. In contrast to gift number two. Do you see what this is? Some of you are professional at this. This is what? Seized chocolates. Yes, exactly. Now, this is a different kind of gift. And uh, this is the kind of gift that in, in my family, I don't know about your family, but if you get a box of seized chocolates, um, you're not allowed just to stash it away, right? You pop that thing open and start sharing it, okay? All right. Can I offer you chocolate? Okay, Marv, how about you? You care for one? No, oh, no, no, not that one. That's my, that's my favorite. No, 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 no. All right. Lori, how about you? You care for one? All right, Chris, you're going to pass? Okay, all right. Now, some of you in the back row, I can see you're going to say, next Sunday I'm sitting in the front row. You finally got a good excuse here. Well, you know, with a box of chocolates, uh, you kind of get the idea. All right, gift number one is uh, something, what, you wear, right? But gift number two, what about that? It's something you share. And that's the whole essence of a spiritual gift, that God has given us something that we can then use to bless someone else. 1 Corinthians 12 says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. Every follower of Christ has been given a gift to serve someone else. Every born-again believer has been entrusted with a supernatural capacity for the benefit and blessing of someone else. Blessed to be a blessing, right? Last Saturday, 40 of us had the opportunity to show up for a service project at a place called Door of Hope. Door of Hope is one of our ministry partners here in Pasadena. And Door of Hope, for over 25 years has been coming alongside homeless families in the name of Christ to help them move from homelessness to self-sufficiency to permanent housing. But we were there last Saturday to exercise, not our physical bodies, though we got a pretty good workout, but we were there to exercise our spiritual gifts. Some of us used our spiritual gifts of helps and service, repairing different things and cleaning up different things. Some of us used our gifts of hospitality, taking donuts and coffee to those that were doing the work. Some of us used our gifts of administration, organizing to make sure that we maximized the resources that we had. Some of us used our gifts of encouragement, just kind of cheering each other on as we did this project together. You see, God is asking us to join Him in His kingdom work. And he does that by giving us a grace, a spiritual gift, a gift that then he infuses with his spirit. And in so doing, he allows us to participate and to accomplish something that has lasting kingdom value, a contribution that we could never do on our own. I like to think about it this way. God has gifted you 
to honor Him by serving others. God has gifted you to honor Him by serving others. Well, you say, okay, Chuck, I, I kind of got the picture here. I can see what a spiritual gift is, but I'm not really sure what my gift is. Well, let me for a moment uh, look at big question number two. What is, or how do I discover my spiritual gift? And allow me just to be very practical here for a moment and give you a few ideas that I trust that will be beneficial. The first is, I would say, is try some things. Uh, experiment. Uh, Bill Hybels in his book, The Volunteer Revolution, says, if I had to sum up the key to finding the perfect serving niche, I'd do it in one word, experiment. Now, years ago, I did an experiment um, and before I was in full-time ministry. And um, I signed up, along with my wife, to um, teach four-year-old Sunday school. That was an experiment. Um, and my wife, did, uh, Patty, did wonderfully at, at uh, teaching four-year-olds, but I didn't. And uh, as much as I love to teach, that was certainly not my target audience. Though I learned a lot of things about hand puppets. Do you know that you can say almost anything to a child with a hand puppet for minutes on end? Uh, they won't listen to you as a person, but a hand puppet, they work well. Um, but through the years, then I've also had the opportunity to experiment and to see, okay, well, here seems to be something where there's a God-given effectiveness that really is only explained by the fact that here's an area where God has given a spiritual gift. And so you begin to try things and experiment. Another way to uh, understand your spiritual gift is to seek the counsel of those who know you well. Where do they see you being effective, having a, an impact, uh, having some kind of influence that gives a good indicator of this might be a spiritual gift? You can also take a spiritual gift inventory. Uh, again, that's in your uh, worship folder right there. Uh, you can go on to our website, Lake Avenue's website, and we have an inventory that you can take, several questions, and at the end it tells you this is probably what your spiritual gift is, and then you begin to kind of uh, pray about that and ask God to direct you in using that. Another idea is we have the Pathway Seminar. Next Sunday, February 5th, Super Bowl Sunday, right here at Lake Avenue Church, we have this uh, pathway seminar that talks about these things of spiritual gift. Um, you can come up and talk to us after the church or uh, after the service to one of the leaders, one of the pastors. Uh, talk to someone maybe in the area of, of ministry that you're interested in. Allow us to show you what your spiritual gift could look like within the context of ministry. Now, I want to take this idea of discovering your spiritual gift and to expand the conversation just one step further. And I want to talk for a moment about the principle of the sweet spot. All right? Three years ago, a group of us led a workshop here at Lake Avenue that we called the Halftime Workshop. About 80 of us were gathered together for several weeks to ask the question about how to maximize the second half of life. And one of the things that we talked about during that uh, workshop was the principle of the sweet shot. <laughs> the sweet spot. I'm going to put my uppers on there. Um, and uh, is it on the, on the board here? It was. Can you put it back up, Sean? Is it there? Okay, here we go. All right, so here's the principle of the sweet shot. Sweet spot. I'll get it right one of these times. I'll call it the SS. How about that? Um, so it starts with God's purpose. 
What is God's purpose for you and me in this world? And probably the best place to go to understand that is what? Matthew 28, right? In Christ's final words of instructions to his followers, his disciples, he says to go make disciples of all nations. So to have a participation in seeing folks come to Christ and seeing folks grow in Christ. All right? God's purpose. And then that's followed by your profile. And your profile is how it is that God's wired you. Uh, the strengths that he's given to you, natural talents, experiences, and most of all, your spiritual gift. It's kind of like your personal package. This is who I am. This is who God has made me to be. And then that's followed by your passion. And passion is to speak to those issues. What are the things that get you wound up, get you fired up, get you out of bed in the morning? As you look across our church, our community, or the world, what are the things that you say, that's got to be fixed? That's wrong. That cannot stand. And by God's grace, I want to do something about that. And you see, this principle of the sweet spot is the intersecting of God's purpose, your profile, and your passion. And when those come together, they're a good indicator of here is where God has called me to make my most significant contribution to the kingdom. What's your sweet spot? What is that place where God wants you to excel for His kingdom purposes? Now we have one more big question. And that question is this. What should this stewardship of my gift look like? What does it mean that God has given me something to manage on his behalf? What is my responsibility to care for something that doesn't belong to me? Well, let me look at a couple verses to help us chase down that question. First Peter chapter 4. Each has given, has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So here's the simple math. God's part is to give the gift. Our part is to use the gift. We are to be good stewards. We are to be faithful managers of what God's entrusted to us. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses the analogy of the human body in almost in a semi-comical manner to press home this point. Look with me, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Is that up on the screen? Okay. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? And of course, the point out of this passage is that we are part of a larger whole. Each of us is a vital part. None of us is superfluous. I love to play basketball. I played basketball for most of my life. And uh, I played on countless games of pickup ball. But I've also played on teams, school teams and community teams and church teams. And I can remember years ago playing on a church team. 
And we were playing at a small, old, musty-smelling junior high gymnasium in Hollywood. And we arrived, and only five players showed up. And as you can imagine, uh, we got a pretty good workout that night. But what would have happened if one of those five players would have said, Ah, I kind of want to sit on the bench tonight. I kind of want to take it easy. What would have been our chances at victory that night? I came across a, a cartoon that kind of makes the point here. Is it up there? It says this, if you can't read it. If you promise he won't have to say anything, sing anything, or give anything, Harvey is ready to become a member. (laughs) Well, can I just say that in God's economy, in the divine ecosystem, there is no place, there is no job description for Harvey. There's no place for the spectator. The notion of an unemployed follower of Christ is wholly foreign to the Scriptures. Now, we don't have time this morning, but if we did, I would want us to go to Matthew 25. Remember the parable of the talents? The parable of the talents is a sobering story. It's like uh, sniffing, smelling salts. It jolts you. And it reminds you that God cares greatly about what we do with what He's given to us. You know, church family, there's a verse that sits on the front burner of my heart and mind. A verse that I've put to memory because I want to be able to retrieve it quickly to help inform the daily choices that come before me. It goes like this. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil which we have done in this earthly body. Now, if you trace through the Scriptures and look at the various judgments, and there's a lot of them that are talked about in Scripture, the two particular ones, the two primary ones, are, first of all, the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, a judgment for unbelievers. But then there's the Bema seat judgment, 2 Corinthians 5, which is for us, for the believer, the Christ follower. Brothers and sisters, as one of your pastors and someone who cares deeply for you, can I just say, this is a judgment. This is a moment that you want to be prepared for. If you ever wanted to be prepared for an examination, this is the one. This is not a time to hammer haw, to stutter, to flinch, to fumble. But this is a time to give a humble accounting before God of your life, the stewardship of your life, the stewardship of your gifts. It is as if to say, oh God, I know it's not perfect, but I stand before you 
and confess and give a humble accounting that it has been my heart's desire and the pattern of my life to steward well all that you have entrusted to me. Let me press the point a little further. Last summer, I read Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor is a gripping story of Navy SEAL Marcus Luttrell's unimaginable quest for survival in the mountains of Afghanistan as he is being hunted down by the Taliban. It's a powerful narrative of honor and courage and patriotism. And leading up to the retelling of this riveting story, leading officer Marcus Luttrell talks about what it means to be a Navy SEAL. He goes for chapters and talks about the grueling training that a Navy SEAL undergoes. And he talks about his identity as a Navy SEAL. And one of the ways he talks about that identity is about the trident. The trident is a special warfare insignia that is awarded to the person who has gone through this brutal training and is summarily designated as a member of the United States Navy SEALs. And with the awarding of the trident comes these words of solemn pledge. My trident is a symbol of honor and heritage bestowed upon me by the heroes that have gone before It embodies the trust of those I have sworn to protect. By wearing the trident, I accept the responsibility of my chosen profession and way of life. It is a privilege that I must earn every day. And here's my favorite part. My loyalty to country and team is beyond reproach. You know, I'd like to take that final statement of the Navy SEAL pledge and rephrase it for kingdom purposes. My loyalty to Christ and his church is beyond reproach. That is to say, I have an unrelenting commitment to Christ and his church. I wear the badge. I accept the truth that God has gifted me to honor him by serving others. And not only do I accept the truth, I live the truth. It is as if to say, there is a body of work a track record that gives evidence that I faithfully use my spiritual gift for the benefit of Christ and His body. There are so many of you here at Lake Avenue who faithfully use your spiritual gift. And while I know you don't do it for the applause of man, I want to thank you for using your gifts the generous giving of countless hours to see God's kingdom purposes advanced in and through the ministries of Lake Avenue. But for a moment, I want to talk to you who aren't quite sure what to make or what to do with this message. Now, quite honestly, if you're a pastor, this is a perfect message to be the purveyor of guilt. Right? Ushers, lock the doors. (laughs) We're having a time to sign up. To sign up for being an usher, a greeter, a leader, a teacher, 
a banker, a baker, a candlestick maker, whatever you want it to be. But guess what? I'm not interested interested in that this morning. At least not today. But what I am interested is this. Two things. Number one, you are indispensable. Now, I hope you receive that as good news. I don't know how many places that you show up in, li- in life and you're told you're indispensable, but here's one. You are a vitally needed part for the fulfillment of God's purposes in this church and in this world. And can I add, the stakes are high. The battle is real. And we need everyone to report for duty. Number two, you are accountable. Now, those aren't my words. Those are God's words. It's his idea to have every one of us stand before him and give an account for how it is that we have stewarded our lives in our gifts. And I believe I sell you short as a spiritual messenger that if I convey for a moment that it really is okay to kick the can down the road. Do you know what my prayer is for today? That there would be dozens in this church family who would respond to God from the bottom of their hearts with these kinds of words. God, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm pretty sure you're speaking to me today. Maybe in the past I haven't been paying attention. Forgive me. Today it is clear that your call on my life is to be a faithful steward of the spiritual gift you have entrusted to me. Right now, I don't know what that looks like. But with your help, I am committing myself to find out. Is that your prayer? Does that express your heart this morning? See that box on your worship folder in the middle of the page there? You know what that is? That's a checkbox. I love checkboxes. But that's for those this morning who that prayer reflects your heart. And it's one way to take the intention of your heart and to tangibly make a check mark to say, God, before you, this isn't the hand in, before you, I'm checking this box because that's my prayer. That's what I want you to do in my life to help me figure out how it is I can better steward what you've entrusted to me. I want to close with a personal word. And perhaps it will provide another window into why the topic and the issue of spiritual gifts is so important to me. I grew up in a strong Christian home. Um, My dad led me to Christ at age six. At age 12, I was baptized at our home church, Church of the Open Door. 
But at age 13, I was conflicted. You see, I lived in two worlds. I lived in my church world with my church friends, and I lived in my school world with my school friends. And these worlds were very different, very separate. It was in my school world, as a early, in my early teenage years, that I began to run with the wrong crowd, to hang out with the wrong people, and to start to make choices that were wrong. And I began to walk a pathway much different than what God intended for me. But it was in my church world that ultimately I woke up. It was the people in my church world who cared about me. It was the people in my church world who prayed for me. And it was people in my church world who used their spiritual gifts in my life. Their gifts of wisdom, their gifts of encouragement, their gifts of leadership, their gifts of teaching. People like Roy Wallace and Herschel Smith and John Bogosian and Jack Lash and Paul Dirks, just to name a few. People who recognized that they had been given a gift to honor God by serving others. And during that vulnerable season of my life, these were the people who stepped up and answered God's call and used and stewarded their spiritual gifts for my benefit. In many ways, I'm a different person at a much different place because of their answer to God's call. My prayer is that every one of us in this room would have the remarkable privilege of using your gift for the benefit and blessing of someone else. You, my brother, you, my sister, are needed. God has gifted you to honor Him by serving others. Would you join me in prayer? Would you just take a a, a quiet moment, a moment of just conversation between you and God to capture what it is that He is saying to you, not anyone else, to you this morning. For some here this morning, you're coming here and you're not quite sure about this whole relationship with Jesus Christ and this whole thing about the Bible. And this morning you may be at the place where you need to recognize that you need a Savior, that your sin has separated you from a relationship with God, and you needed to trust Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as your personal Savior and make life's most important decision. But my guess is for the majority of us here, it's hearing the message of Romans 12 and saying, God, how is it that you want me to take the next step of stewardship with a spiritual gift that you have entrusted to me. What would that look like, God? How would you direct me? God, the last thing that we need this morning is to be pressured or to feel guilt, but rather to 
recognize the gracious invitation that you offer to us, that we can participate in your kingdom work and make a difference in people's lives in your name. Oh God, there is no better way to invest ourselves. So God, take your word, stir it into our hearts, and may you find in each of us that ready response of yes, God, to whatever it is that you say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.